what is made to fly will not do well trapped on the ground. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Mike Tucker. Coach Tucker is the head strength conditioning coach for the Villanova football team. Mike has been around the circle of coaches that have already been on this podcast, and I've got to see his approach to training through his social media and really love how he goes about implementing field work and emphasizing how much time we spend on the field versus how much time we spend in the weight room. Today, we covered his approach to training, his, his emphasis on the high-low splits, his emphasis on if we want to get better on the field, why don't we spend more time there? And one of my biggest takeaways from this podcast was improvement or ego and your choice as a coach to have one or the other. I hope you guys get something out of this podcast and thank you guys for listening. All right, well, Coach, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Coach, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to where you're at today and kind of how you got into the world of sports performance? Yeah, sure. Um, so this will be my third season at Villanova. Uh, prior to that, I was at San Jose State as an assistant for football. At Villanova, I just do football. I'm head football athletic performance coach, uh, assist with track a little bit. Um, prior to that, I was at San Jose State as an assistant with football, head baseball, head women's basketball, head women's volleyball. I also got my master's degree out there. Uh, working backwards still. Prior to that, I was an unpaid intern at Clemson University with track and baseball primarily. Prior to that, I was the head strength coach and D-line coach at Kutztown University, which is a small D2 school in Pennsylvania. Uh, prior to that, I was at North Dakota State with Jim Kramer, uh, working with the Bison football team in the weight room. And then I played and coached at Holy Cross under Jeff Oliver, which he had a he had a massive influence on my career. He's a Mike Boyle disciple, so he was my strength coach, my first boss, and my landlord uh, in college. So a lot a lot of credit goes to that guy up there. I appreciate everything he's done for me. The uh, so you were a defensive line coach as well. That was kind of my uh, my first gig. I was an assistant strength coach and a defensive line coach on a football team too. Yeah. So as you know, the small schools, it's like, okay, who, who's, who has experience in the weight room, right? Or, or who's the meathead on staff. So at right out of college, I was the D line coach. And then he's like, oh yeah, you're going to be the head strength coach, by the way. And I like, eyes got real big and I was like, what? Like had no clue, made hundreds of mistakes. Um, so, so that was definitely a, a trial by fire experience, which is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm interested in how you went from so was it just in college, did you know you wanted to become a sports coach and the defensive line coaching job was the first thing that popped up? Or like, how did the transition from that first defensive line coaching job go to becoming a strength coach and now becoming the head strength coach at Villanova? Yeah. And, and this is a topic like we were talking about a little bit before we hopped on it. it people don't realize like what goes into kind of the path and the decisions and the journey. I was going to be a football coach and, and that's all I wanted to do. And um, you know, I was visiting a school, I won't name which school, but they actually kicked me out of their facility because just because I played for a certain person in college, that was, the, he was, he was like, Hey, Oh, you played for that coach. Like you have to leave. And so here I am, what, 21 years old. And I'm like depressed. I just got kicked out of a school just cause I knew a guy. And, um, and so I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to apply to a bunch of places. And within 48 hours, like Jim Kramer from North Dakota state called me and I was like, Whoa, like that, that's incredible. Right. And then when I was the D line coach, strength coach, right. I wanted to just do the D line and then like, just kind of 
growing more and more into the strength field, it was like, Oh wow. Like this is really telling. And then just realizing that, you know, I didn't have the opportunities to learn because I was on the road recruiting or breaking down film. Um, you know, so I couldn't, I was being average in both fields. Right. So I, I dove in and, and I was that unpaid intern at Clemson kind of took a step back and, and really dove into the to learning process of it. Yeah. I'm interested in, in that journey too, because, and we, t- we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but we talk about kind of the mountains and valleys and the kind of how successful strength coaches, successful people in general, they usually start off lower than a lot of people that are listening right now that they, they look, they, they look up to you right now in your position that you're in. They're like, holy shit, I can never get there. But like you're mentioning, like you totally almost took that 180 to, from a football coach to becoming a sports performance coach or a strength coach. And you had to go back to being that unpaid intern. Can you kind of dive into what that decision was like for you? And I'm sure like that was a maybe a like tough decision to make. And then you have to figure out things like when you're in that unpaid position, can you kind of dive into that journey? Yeah. And, and you know, it comes down to, okay, what do you want and how bad, how bad do you want it? Like, don't sit here and be like, Hey, I want to be the best strength coach in the country and then watch four hours of Netflix a day. Right. Um, so if you, t- if you say that, Hey, I want to be the best strength coach in the country and then your actions don't align with your goals, then you're just a liar. Right. Um, so you have to have a plan and a system in place in order to achieve, achieve what you want to achieve. And, and, you know, I think every, every great coach who I look up to, right. They, they all have kind of told me similar stuff, but it really comes down to handling adversity because you're going to have adversity in your life. Right. And here's two more. So I just gave you one kind of nugget on, on when I got kicked out of a school. And then, you know, when I'm applying, when I was at Clemson and applying to places, um, you know, as an unpaid intern, I'm um, applying to places and, you know, two, two unique stories stick out and I'm thankful for them because that's where it led me to where I am today. And one is the strength coach at my brother's school who, so my brother was a, a um, all American lacrosse player, the strength coach at his school, you know, I applied for a job interviewed. He didn't even interview me. The GA interviewed me and then he ghosted me. Wouldn't even call me back. Like I emailed him and called him like, Hey, just wanted to know like where I'm at in the situation. Um, like completely ghosted, right. As they say in the dating world. And it was like, all right, well now I know never to do that to somebody. So that's a great learning experience. And two, like, I'm thankful I didn't go work there. And then another, and then another story. Right. And so like getting turned down from a school that I thought I had a really good shot at, at, you know, working turned out to be a great blessing for me. Um, and then another story was a coach who's pretty well respected in the field said I should gain 10 pounds in order to get a job. And I'm like, I'm sitting here at like six to like maybe two twenty at the time. And I'm like, that doesn't help me coach my athletes any better. So, um, you know, it's just interesting to kind of, kind of have two, two very similar stories. And I'm like, oh, thank, thank God I didn't go work for that guy. Um, and, he, and he's like a friend of mine too, but it's like, dude, you have no, like that, that has no relevance to coaching athletes. Um, so creating a system and then everything happens for a reason, I think are two things that I definitely go back to. So if I didn't get turned down from those two places, um, I would have never landed at San Jose state, um, which was, you know, the, one of the best things for me. I'm interested then in the, you, you mentioned like you're, you're taking these lessons because now you are in that leadership role to where maybe you're having people reach out to you about jobs or having people reach out and you're having people that were in your situation, kind of how, you, how you've applied some of those lessons, of like not telling somebody they need to put on 10 pounds of muscle to gain a strength conditioning job, which is silly yeah. uh, to the hiring process and kind of maybe what you're looking for and how you're, how you're going about this now, now that you're at the other end of it. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and we're all in this continuing education and like learning spectrum together, right? Like nobody's at the, at the mountain. And the minute you think you've arrived, you are now falling off. Right. Um, so with that being said, I think taking, you take everything from, from everywhere you've been or everyone you talk to, right. You take something. So whether that's what to do, how to do it or how not to do it, right. You, you gain a lot of stuff just from observing people and being like, Hey, I know I don't want to be like that guy or excuse me, or understanding like, Hey, I know that's not how I'm going to go about doing things. So you pick up a lot of lessons from everybody. And some people will be like, Oh, that place, you know, I I wasn't a big fan of it, you know, or they'll, they'll talk poorly of it. It's like, Hey, I'm going to take that lesson and just know that I'm going to apply that and what not to do. Um, so when we look at Villanova, you know, a lot of people reach out to me regarding internships or our paid internship, whatever it is. And and I, I always try and get back to every single one of them, whether we're hiring at that time or not, because I think it's important. So I think like the drive to and from work is a really good time to, to, to knock those out and just make connections and, and try and help people out in that regard. Um, and then just give them guidance or advice, you know, it, it, a five or 10 minute phone call, um, like we said here, can, can kind of change a lot of perspectives. So I think having, having those, those, short, those short conversations are really important. And that's, dude, I love the, the the point that you mentioned, like you can learn a lot from the negatives. And this is something that I, I've realized more in my coaching career is I, I've gotten much more out of being coached by a bad coach and realizing like, that's how that makes you feel. That's how mm-hmm. mentally and physically, like that's what that program does. And like you said, like a lot of people can just like, a little bit of the woe is me of like, oh, I had a bad coach. I had that. But being able to realize like that is that's such a blessing in disguise because now you as a coach you're like hey let's never do that again hey let's never coach like that hey let's never say these things that this coach is saying and that's going to help you tremendously with your athletes that you currently have like the the, the negatives that you learn as an athlete are going to help you so much as a coach yeah and and we're all we're all like i said we're all learning but you want to learn from others mistakes rather than your own like i said when i was at Kutztown, i made 100 mistakes and i probably still make I probably make mistakes every day, unfortunately, and I try to mitigate those, but you know, you try and learn from others mistakes uh, as well. So you just got to make sure that you're intentional about it and then have extreme ownership in your, you know, attitude and actions and habits. So that way you can, you don't, you don't place an external locus of control and say, Oh no, that was, that was because of X, Y, or Z that that's not me and, and protecting yourself. Right. That's a little ego driven. Versus like saying, like owning it and be like, Hey, I screwed up that time. Like that's on me. We're going to move on and we're going to get better. Um, so you can, you can believe in improvement or ego, right. Is one or the other. Cause you're, you're going to either protect yourself and, and blame, blame somebody, or you're going to, or you're going to own it and, and improve. So I think that that's something I always come back to in that as well. I, I love that quote. I, I haven't heard the improvement or ego thing before, but that's something like we, we constantly talk about on this podcast because when I bring successful coaches on, one of the biggest things that is brought up over and over and over again is that ego side of things, because it's always like, you, like you put it perfectly, the improvement or ego. Like if, if you think you're right, or if you, if you have that ego going into it, then you automatically shut off anything that you can learn, anything that you can learn from anybody else, anything that you can learn from the session itself, because you want it to be about you. You want it to be driven perfectly. And that, that I love that the way you put that, that might even be the title of this podcast because that that's the only way to grow as a coach. And it's something that I think, and we can talk about it all the time. And it's something like I'll openly admit, like it's something I struggle at every day too, is like, how do you like get rid of that ego on the side? But I I love that point. 
Well, it's a hundred, like most things in the profession, that quote is a hundred percent stolen from, uh, who is that stolen from Brian kite, I believe. Uh, so he, he does a lot of culture things with a lot of different teams, but like, like we're kind of going back and forth saying like it making sure that, Hey, if you, if you really think like you're the best strength coach in the country, like, and you can't do anything wrong, like go get another room, like go, go visit Altus. Cause you'll get put in your place real quick by damn path. Like I've never felt like, like more of a bumbling idiot when I talk to that guy. Um, so it, it's, it's really about perspective because there's guys who've been doing it a lot longer than, than any of us have. And, you know, we're just reinventing the wheel, right? We're just, we're not doing anything new or special. Everybody's already done it. It's just regurgitated in a little bit different way. Yeah. And that's, that's the best thing about this podcast for myself is every single week I get a chance to get put in my place. I get to talk to somebody like you that is like, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sit here, take a bunch of notes, hopefully apply some of this to my program and just shut up and listen. So something I want to dive into now is your, your what, like how you apply your beliefs into this sports performance realm. And one of the quotes that I love that you mentioned in, in one of your posts recently is like, there is no squat rack at the 50 yard line and talking about what really matters in sports performance. Yep. So disclaimer, I feel like, you know, the things I always talk about are speed, right? Strength is important. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever said those words out loud on a podcast before. <laughs> Strength is important. All right. But if it was the, the biggest KPI for performance, then Eddie Hall would be an elite left guard, right? Cause he can deadlift 1200 pounds. But if you watch them deadlift, right, or somebody squat, right, one of those power lifters, you know, over over a thousand pounds, how long does it take them to do it, right? That deadlift is an extremely straining process, and it takes them seconds to do it. Well, if it takes you four seconds to move the nose guard out of the a gap, we have a serious problem because how long does it take for the quarterback to hand it off to the to the running back? You know what I mean? So we have to access that strength at a at a rapid rate and be able to utilize it on the field of performance right now. Right. So time is a huge variable for us. So understanding that speed rate of force development power play a lot more significant role than does strength, in my opinion. Right. And as you get closer and closer to that box, strength matters more and more. So absolute strength might matter more for a left guard than does a wide receiver. Right. But I'd argue that maybe accelerative strength and speed strength play a bigger factor in accessing that strength at a more rapid rate. And I, I love the point that like you started it with is strength is important. And that's something that I think we, uh, like when you try to emphasize, like, especially with your post and my post, like you, you see a lot of field work on there. And like, I post a lot of like movement based stuff. And again, I, I think Ver, uh, Vernon Griffin posted something like that's all snippets of training because like, we're still lifting heavy and we're still developing that absolute level of strength. <laughs> and we're still, we have a focus on it, but the, the thing that I see, and the reason I emphasize the other side of things so much is because the field seems to be so driven by just strength, you know, like it, it like you said, it's strength isn't the devil. The, the devil is putting a hundred percent of your focus on strength and then leaving nothing for the rest of the development of the athlete. Yeah. And that's allocating your NCA eight hours, right? So we have eight hours to develop our guys. What's your program about? What are you going to allocate that to? If you emphasize flexibility, mobility, that's awesome. Are you going to allocate three out of the NCA eight hours to it? I, I wouldn't, but that's my, that's my philosophy. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's your, your philosophy. Say, Hey, every, we're going to do 30 minutes after every session and 10 and 30 minutes before a foam rolling. And that's going to be, you know, make us real supple. All right. But you know, ultimately that 
that's not going to be a big indicator for performance, um, you know, allocating your time. So you have to allocate your time to what you believe in. Um, and what we believe in is, is really speed power development is, is a huge driver for, for on-field success. Yeah. And I, I, lo- I love that. It's a little bit of the, I talk about this a lot too, is a little bit of the law diminishing returns. And what I see with a lot of my athletes is, and this isn't true for every athlete. I have a lot of young athletes that strength is their missing piece. Like they, they haven't developed that yet. So we're going to emphasize more of the, more of our pie and more of our time that's allotted to us into that piece. But like we get a lot of athletes in the, especially in the college world where strength is, isn't their missing piece. They have that pretty well developed from their high school age and just from being a pretty strong athlete. And now with the law of diminishing returns and with our set cap limit of time, like wh- where are we going to get us get our biggest bang for our buck working on that athlete with our field work that, and this is just personal experience, but a lot of our athletes aren't very adapt with their, with their field work. They're not, they're not very, they haven't done a lot of speed work. They haven't done a lot of good speed work. I should say uh, they haven't done a lot of movement based stuff. And then that's stuff that they can get better at if we put more time into it. Whereas if we spend seven of those eight hours on putting five more pounds on their already 500 pound squat, like, what are we really getting out of that session? Yeah. And, and, and you got to ask yourself, what's, what's the limiting factor? So I, I have a, an NFL uh, O lineman who I work with. He squats over 580. So is he strong enough to play in the National Football League? I'd argue yes. Right? He's strong. And how strong is strong enough? Like a couple of our D linemen squat 600 pounds. Like, do they need to touch over 550 again in their career? Do they need to touch over 90%? Like, I'd argue no me getting their squat from 615 to 625 what's what's the transfer and carryover on the field going to be for that uh for that athlete or should we focus on a lot more horizontal vectors should we focus on more unilateral work and should we focus more on the speed speed strength power side of the continuum the game isn't played with 600 pounds on their back does strength help absolutely right but if that D lineman can't long stick redirect it's kind of irrelevant i love that the game isn't played with 600 pounds on their back and now that we're kind of diving into the overarching, like why you believe in that, how do you go about implementing that with your athletes? And like, what's, what's kind of your process and overarching theories? You, you, you mentioned the unilateral work, you mentioned working on the time aspect of things, but how, how are you implementing this with your team and your athletes? Yeah, no, great question. So everything falls under the high, low CNS umbrella for us, uh, the Charlie Francis model and all models are flawed. Um, so they're all incomplete as, as Tim Karen would say, instead of wrong. Um, so they all, that all falls under that. And then it's okay. How do you want to allocate your time? So, you know, traditionally, I think the eight hour NCA split oftentimes is split up into six weight room, two field. So if you're saying the field work's important, why are you only allocating two hours to it out of eight? Um, so knowing that the field work is very important for us, we always allocate at least 50% of the time to it. So we'll go four and four split. <clears throat> most of the time. Now, when we, when we break that down even further, so now like, again, systems thinking, we're, we're starting with this, okay, what's important? What are our KPIs? Then break it down further into our system, then break it down in time allocation. Now, what goes on in the time frame? right? You always want to start with speed power first. Um, so we'll always start on the field and we'll always start with our speed work. Now, a lot of people say, okay, we're going to do the simple things really, really well. And an example of motor learning, I, I, I'd break that, I'd analyze that too, or analogize, is that make an analysis? I don't know. <laughs> um, so let's take a linebacker coach. All right, he's going to say, hey, 
we're going to do three shuffle drills every day. They're going to be our basic shuffle drills. And we're always going to like get really, really, really good at the basics. Okay. Well, in the movement solutions world, now you've given that athlete three tools in the toolbox. Okay. And in the game of football, how many different scenarios is that linebacker going to be placed in? Hundreds of thousands, right? Like every single play is a different scenario. So you have to give them tools to pull in order to solve those solutions. So I think kind of like the keeping it simple, like the bases are great, but then once you're good at them, like you have to progress and adapt the athlete. Like you have to keep continually challenge them 10% outside of the comfort zone. So they continue to grow, learn and develop skill. So we want to provide athletes with the, with these tools so they can pull them from their toolbox. And we want to build really big, really big, robust toolboxes in order to provide that athlete with a lot of skill solution scenarios. So, so now understanding, okay, now we're, we're, we're framing the picture. These are our goals. Here's our system. Here's how we're going to implement it. And then moving, moving on with it. Right. So now understanding, okay, Hey, on our high CNS days or our sprint, sprint jump throw days on our low CNS days, close to the off season, we're building a more robust aerobic system. You know, as we progress more and more, we want to uh, start to do our collision stuff. I know you had Andy Ryland on the podcast. We want to start to have more impacts in the wrist, elbow, shoulder, right? Teach them crawls, tumbles. I think all that stuff's awesome. I know you post a lot of that stuff as well. So, you know, a lot of people tend to throw a lot of stuff, quote unquote, at the, at the whiteboard and see what sticks, right? But ultimately putting it in a system is, is what we're after. Because you don't want to have the same cookie cutter approach, right? There's coaches in the field who may have 10 years of experience, but they've done the same program year after year. I'd argue that's one year of experience. As we, so you want to have year after year analysis of your program, year after year analysis and, and alter, hey, what worked, what didn't work? Hey, how can we improve upon that? Hey, that worked really well. Can we tweak it more? So now placing all of these factors within a system and that high-low systems allowed us to kind of place a hierarchy on it. Um, but placing it in the system is really what we're after, I think. And that's one of the most long-winded, um, you know, rambles I'll hopefully go on today. <laughs> uh, I, I like that. And I, I'm interested because this is something I'm interested in myself and trying to apply, but kind of, uh, the KPIs for some of this movement-based stuff for some of the tumbling stuff that you talked about for some of the crawling <clears throat> stuff and some of the stuff that you're implementing because you, you, you're talking about trying to apply this to a system and trying to improve. What are you looking at to see if this stuff is working? Is it the anecdotal, like, hey, I feel better and move better? Is it the injury reports? I'm sure it's all of it. But like, what's kind of your approach to knowing this is moving in the right direction? This isn't moving in the right direction. This is working. <laughs> this isn't working. Yeah, that's a really good question. So it depends on what it is, right? Like any, like any question depends on what it is. So like sprints, are your times getting faster or slower, right? strength are you getting stronger or weaker um so when you look at the tumbles and the collisions and things like that a lot of it's that that mix like you said of qualitative and quantitative so meeting with the athletic trainers going over injury reports and like i kind of just threw a ton of stuff in within that initial system like very like hey here's some things that we think about right off the bat now when we go into it we we can't sit here and, and argue and say Hey, you know why we had like way less shoulder injuries? Cause we did that tumble series, that like progression, you know, we're doing so much. We'd like to attribute some of that stuff to certain aspects, but we're doing so much that, that you really aren't entirely positive on, on what's creating that adaptation, right? Maybe it's luck, right? I'm sure a lot of it like could be luck. So like, um, I got a, I got a webinar coming up on strength coach network here with Sean Doherty soon. 
and, and we talk about that that exact thing like you're not entirely sure what what it is that you're doing you try and make sure you have elements of everything in there um so you know we had a ton of less injuries this last year um because not because of it correlated not causative um correlated with we microdosed in spring ball so we lifted six days a week to make it a little more true high low so that was like a really interesting thing study that we did but qualitative talking to the guys every day making sure they feel all right you know and and every every program i write is flawed and every program i write is a blueprint and then you're making changes you know weekly daily you know, understanding that the daily stresses of the athletes are going to be different than what you planned for. Understanding that your uh, rate of recovery and my rate of recovery are two totally different things. Maybe my significant other broke up with me and I'm psychologically in the tank, you know, maybe your, maybe your position coach uh, got after you. So technically, tactically, um, you, you necessarily aren't having a great day either. So there's, there's a hundred million stressors in the world that we face and, and we're trying to global manage this entire load. And so we're trying to take responsibility of stuff that we don't really have control over. And with, with this, and you're, you're bringing up the, just trying to get, like you're talking about throwing a lot of stuff at the athletes. And, and I do the same, it's a very similar approach just because of the fact that they're going to see thousands of different positions on the field, thousands of different mm-hmm. situations. What is kind of your thought process and approach to doing and programming for this when you're writing a program? Like, is, is it emphasis on, all right, last week we crawled this week, we're going to roll that type of stuff. Like, how are you going about, all right, I'm going to get them in as many different situations and positions throughout this off season, throughout this program to prepare them for what they're going to see on the field. Yeah. So, so I think you hit it on the head there at the end is what they're going to see on the field. So knowing the game is the most important thing, right. And understanding, okay, an O lineman, how much load is he going to take? How much isometric strain is he going to be under? How many, how many collisions is he going to have? And then it's understanding, okay, the running back, how many different cuts in space is he going to have? How's he going to create, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, how's he going to create space, right? How's the quarterback going to scramble in order to give himself time? So when you break down these things, and I'm just regurgitating a lot of stuff written by really smart dudes, James Smith, Fergus Connolly, Charlie Francis, right? And when you reverse engineer the sport, it becomes a lot clearer, the picture you have to paint. So let's say summer. All right. I don't sit in my office in May and say, Hey, June week one, what do you want to do? Right. It's, it's saying, okay, Hey, August, what are the demands that are going to be placed on them? September, what are the demands going to be placed on them? Work backwards. So July, here's what my last week of July I'm aiming for. Right. And am I going to hit that on the head? I, I sure as heck don't think so because I ain't that, that much of a fortune teller. All right. So I don't know the exact progression that they're going to like how they're going to look, but I want to give the, the roadmap. And people think that success would be a straight linear line. And it's really, really messy. And I hope I get close to that week eight that I initially drew. I hope I get close. So when you reverse engineer the sport, then you can ultimately work your way backwards. So it's not necessarily like, oh, we need to crawl week one, tumble week two, um, loaded carries week three. I think, I think when we're speaking just about like the Andy Ryland collision stuff, I think the crawl, carry, um, crawl, carry, tumble, roll collisions. I think those are kind of your main baskets and can you branch off of those? Sure. But if you're progress, if you have some of those elements in place year round and then progress them accordingly, I think you're doing a pretty good job when it comes to the collision aspect. Um, and then like the, the high speed running is kind of a different story as well. Yeah. And I'm interested in diving in that. That was kind of my next question is with the high speed running, what's your balance. And I, I know you've done a lot of this stuff of we're going to, we're going to build a speed reserve and we're going to work on the actual 
art and technique of sprinting and also applying this to, all right, now you got to apply that speed reserve to reacting to somebody. Now you got to apply that speed reserve to cutting, accelerating, doing all these type of things. What's kind of your approach to building game speed? Yeah. So obviously the game speed, like max output versus operational output is definitely one thing you look at. So my max output would be in shorts on a laser off of, you know, a ton of sleep and a ton of rest, right? Operational output on game day in front of X number of fans um, with a, with a defender in front of me is going to be a lot different story. So when you increase the max output, the operational output is going to go up, you know, hopefully you think. Um, so if I get my team from a, say my average, let's say a, a wide out, right? My average wide out from a four, six to a four, five, right? A four, seven, is a lot easier for him to run versus if you're a corner and all you do is repeat sprint ability, you're going to get really, really good at running 80% bull. Your 80% is still not good enough, right? So if you can't touch the net in the NBA, it doesn't matter how many times you can jump, right? You're still getting zero rebounds. So <clears throat> understanding that and then saying, okay, we're going to really try and emphasize, hey, increasing max output, right? So I want my guys fresh. I want them sprinting. I want them jumping. I want them being as explosive and fast as possible right? So that quote unquote fitness illusion, right? A guy runs, get a guy who runs a four, three next to a guy who runs a four, nine in the first, second, third, or fourth quarter. And you tell me who looks fast. Like, you know what I mean? Right. So, so it doesn't really, our emphasis is, is a lot of times on that a lactic ceiling and increasing their a lactic outputs. Now, how we recover from those is our low CNS aerobic work, right? Building that aerobic base, having our extensive field work involved, um, that's obviously important, right? But we spend a lot of time in this middle zone. And I think, I, I'd like to think it's starting to shift away from that and into a true, you know, higher, lower model, um, getting away from the glycolytic training. So um, that's kind of in a very rudimentary way, kind of say what we, what we do a little bit. No, and I, I love that because it's, it's, it's a very similar approach to, to what I have trying to, and again, it, it's stuff that I, I've learned from the best coaches out there too, but just trying to stay out of that, that stinky middle, you know, like the middle ground that is, is basically covered in the game anyways, covered in that sports practice. Now we want to go, like, what can we give them? We can give them super high and we can give them super low and the abilities to get into both of these. Can you give me a little like example and demonstration of what we're talking a lot about your high days? Uh, can you give an example of what one of your high days look like to kind of outline what an actual high day is for for a coach out there thinking like the high low method and maybe even a low day too, just to show like what a true high day really is and what a true day low day really is. Yeah. So, you know, our high days are, are sprint focused, you know, so we'll go in, we'll warm up. Um, the warm up's a great opportunity to see if that, if they're truly primed up to perform on those high days, those high days are extremely important because you want to hit 95 to hundred percent of their max V right. And if they're fatigued <clears throat> from a peripheral or a central uh, perspective from the day before, then the day's a wash, right? So you want them primed up, ready to go for those days. So it's a sprint emphasis. So we'll have that warm up. Um, so just gauging how they're feeling in the warm up. Are they talkative? Are they quiet? Um, right? Are they bouncy off the ground or are they flat footed? Like you want to hear their feet contacts. So just it's kind of gauging the room and then analyzing their movement as well as a really good opportunity. So we'll have a warm up, right? And you don't really want to realize when the warm-up ends and when the when the training session begins so we'll generally throw a med ball or have a tumbling circuit or a reactive agility kind of as the segue from our warm-up to our training session you know 
and saying, okay, when, when did the warm up really end and when did the work, when did the training session start? And then you want to ultimately, okay, now make sure they're primed up. So we'll have a couple buildups at the end of the warm up as well. And then we'll get into our, depending on what day it is, a seller max V uh, dominant day. So let's say it's a max V day. So we'll go into either chain sprints, buildups, fly-ins, right? Fast, easy, fast, depending on what we want to cover for that day, what time of year it is, what the goals are, what group it is, right? Our bigs and our skills do not do the similar stuff, it's similar themes, but not the same exercises or drills. I don't need the bigs doing, you know, boom, booms or, or fast, easy, fast, but they're still going to run. We're still going to try and increase their, their max velocity because it's going to affect the acceleration profile. So as I get more and more off topic here, warm up, transition from the warm up with a buildup, right? We'll do some posterior dominant med ball throws on our max V day. We want to send similar signals. We'll do some sort of elastic jump and we'll sprint. So you can figure out the order of that, whatever you want. If you, if you're going to value med ball throws first, allocate more time and more reps and more sets to that. You want to, you want to allocate more time towards plyometrics. All right, do that. So it just depends on what you want to do within your program. And then as we go into the weight room, so that is, that'll generally take up an hour of our time. And then as we go into the weight room, that's our high CNS day as well in there. We can't say, oh, it's a high CNS field day and then a low CNS weight room day. So as we get into the weight room, <clears throat> excuse me, that's going to be a top output day for us as well. So uh, one of the things we did this winter was we did the hand-supported hand safety bar split squat. Um, so that was on our max V day, <clears throat> just sending a ton of stress to those tissues. You know, and, and, we, and on our acceleration high day, we want to still make sure that they're primed up, ready to go and not feeling a ton of peripheral or central fatigue for that max V day as well. So that max V day is normally later in the week. We can, we can get after them a little more in the weight room. So say it's a Friday, feel free to throw Nordics in there. We could do isometric hammy stuff, but we, it, it's about sending very similar signals, whether from a technical analysis or from a physiological. So something I stole from Stu over at Altus something I stole from him was themes of the day. So an acceleration theme day, a max velocity theme day. And now from a, a teaching standpoint, we're, we're sending very similar signals, um, but also from a physiological standpoint. Transitioning, we, we, we got this high day. I think almost the more important part is what does your low day look like? Because we talk about uh, even a little bit before, and I think this is where every coach struggles is we, we want low days, but we make our low days high days or we make our low days middle days because we always want to push our athletes what does yeah. your low day look like to keep it low? Mm -hmm. So the, the one miss, the one, two misconceptions, the one that you just mentioned was, okay, yeah, we're low, but then you absolutely blast them and it turns glycolytic very quickly. So then they're not, they're not primed up and recovered for the next high day. So that's one. And then the other, the other misconception is low is low, low is equal or equivalent to easy. Um, and that's also, that's also a fallacy. So on our low days, we spend a little more time in the warm up little more hip mobility, um, a little more extensive rudimentary hops from Altus. But that, that's where I think we get really creative because when you look at, you know, GPS data and people say, oh, we need to add a thousand, thousand yards to get them to where they're going to practice. And then they'll go run 10 hundred yard tempos, understanding that, hey, not all, not all yardage is created equal. We can do a lot of extensive work in various planes and force vectors that doesn't have to be straight ahead running. Um, and I think that's where you kind of see the more creative stuff, the crawls, the tumbles, uh, the backward running, the extensive med ball work, right? And then we, we do a lot of different extensive runs as well, curve runs, you know, single leg, double leg hops, all in these different angles and, and vectors. And I think it's a lot more high quality movement than it would be if it were just, you know, tempos, gassers, 300s, all that stuff. 
Um, so again, we're analyzing not just the yardage, we're analyzing quality of yardage, force vectors, t- different types of cuts. So like you mentioned, you want to expose them to, to as many different situations as possible and get them very robust in those situations. So now, now we have that kind of ideology behind us. How can we do that in an aerobic manner? Right. And then move forward with it. So, um, if you, as long as your intensity is staying low and, and you're staying within that aerobic work, work, rest interval, you know, creativity is, is a hell of a, is a hell of a tool. And, I, and I'm not, and I'm like one of the most least creative person on our staff. I have our staff to thank for that. <laughs> and with this, uh, with the extensive work, um, one of the things that I'm always interested in is hearing how coaches actually keep it extensive. What's kind of your focus with your athletes? Is it the just emphasizing over and over and over again to your athletes? Like, Hey, this is our goal of today. Like, how do you keep a bunch of Ferraris from pedal to the metal as soon as it you can say extensive and then they send it like right away. How do you, how do you emphasize that with them? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and and I do think discussing with the guys is, is extremely important and being open and honest with the goals of the day, like you just mentioned is really important. So when you, when you're open and honest with the goals of the day and saying, Hey guys, and, and I won't say today's an easy day, right? I don't, and I don't also don't say, Hey, today's a low CNS day. Cause <laughs> they don't know what that is. So, Hey, today's a technical focus day. That's a lot of stuff that we'll do. Hey, today's a technical focus day. So say our DBs are doing brake pedal trees. All right. If we're like really close to the season and I want it to be a low day. So now I'm exposing them to eight different force cut vectors, right? And maybe I have a wave vest on them or a dowel or a med ball they're holding to limit trunk rotation or whatever, whatever external cue I, I want to give with them, right? That's going to naturally slow down their speed potentially, all right? But also I can give cues like, hey, slow too fast through, all right? So maybe it's, it's a 50% backpedal, put foot in the ground, break 45, one hard step, right? So now <laughs> I'm accumulating cuts at different angles. I'm accumulating yardage at different angles, all right? And like you mentioned, having those external feedback of the Dow or the med ball is going to decrease their speed of movement as well. So it's about putting them one in the environment to learn in the environment of an extensive, but then also being open and honest. And, and like, we have dudes like let it rip sometimes like, yo, chill out. Right. You know that like, Hey, you know, today's a technical day. Like that rep looked like crap, like dial it back. Right. And then if we're doing tempos, excuse me, we do a lot of multi-directional tempos. So, um, not necessarily just linear, right? We can, we can go shuffle to the numbers, open up to the hash, maybe backpedal in between the hashes. So now they're getting transition reps in a fatigue state in an aerobic environment. So James Smith said, Hey, use the aerobic, use the musculature as it's used aerobically in the game. So if you have O linemen doing linear tempos, that's not very specific to their task on the field, right? Work capacity is task specific. So they'd get a lot more bang for their buck, maybe shuffling, back and forth, passing back and forth a 50 pound med ball, right. Or having sled tempos aerobically. So now when you, when you, when you try and mimic the game demands a little bit more, but you're in an aerobic environment, right. You're now giving them more tools. You're now giving them more tools and they're better able to have a, have a more robust aerobic system in order. And and all that, and all that stuff's great, but that's ultimately to recover better in between their high lactic outputs. Cause if you have a great aerobic system, but no, no output, it doesn't matter how, how well you recover. You're still getting blasted between each play. No, I, that, that's freaking awesome. I, I love that. Pretty much all of that because we implement the same thing. But basically, like our, our low days, that, that's, that's our number one focus is, all right, we're going to build the aerobic system. 
and how can we do that in the best way? Again, that applies to the field. And I definitely started out like the very first like time I stepped into weight room. I'm like, all right, aerobic base. We're going to tempo run. We're going to build an aerobic base. And then once you once you take a deeper look, like there's to me just so many better ways to get a better bang for your buck out of that. Like building a movement capacity, building some of these tools and positions that they're going to see on the field while building that aerobic base and just continuing to build. Like we mentioned before the podcast, that holistic program rather than just one part of it that makes it yeah. clean for you as a coach, like the tempo <laughs> runs, like if you're just going to run tempo runs, you, like you said, 10 sets on 100, super clean as a coach. You can sit there with a the time, like hit it perfect. It makes you feel really good. We got a lot out of that session. Whereas it might get a little messier when you're doing some crawls, some bears, some tumbles into some tempos, that type of stuff. But yep. the, the messy is kind of what you have to embrace when you're dealing with those team sport athletes. Yeah. And, and like you said, you can do Like nobody's saying you can't develop an aerobic base with 10 hundreds. If it's in an extensive environment, if it's an aerobic environment, right, that's perfectly fine. You can also do it walking on tread incline treadmill. You can also do it with like a metabolic circuit. Like let, let's, let's take, let's expand a little bit and say, Hey, can I get other qualities while also developing this aerobic base? Can I also like think of the fascial lines we're laying down the strain we're laying down? Where else can I have an impact on not only not only our, our tissue capacity, but also performance while laying down this aerobic base. And I think linear is one method. And I'd be lying if we said we don't just do traditional linear tempo runs at certain times of the year, right? But understanding that that's one aspect of our program. And then I want to branch off that relatively quickly because I think we can develop an aerobic base in a little, in a little better manner. Uh, and when I say better, I mean, uh, like you just said, more stimuli, changing variables, things like that. And something I want to draw back to a little bit, because you mentioned it earlier, is talking about measuring speed and the, the fatigue aspect with your athletes. And you mentioned like one athlete could be super recovered and ready for that max feed day and one athlete could not be. And your goal is to get like that 95% plus out of him that day. What's kind of your, like you see an, maybe it's you see an athlete that's pretty beat up or he's just putting up slower times. Like one, how are you measuring if that athlete is ready for the day? And then two, how are you adapting to that, that yeah. not being ready or being ready? Yeah. And, and, and this is a spectrum that, that listeners will, some listeners are at, you know, really, really high quality programs and they have Omega waves and like Nord boards and stuff like that. You know, we don't have any of that. And, and one thing about the Omega wave, I, I got a trial run for a month on it. So I don't, I don't know how much of a believer I am in that stuff. I got a trial run for a month on it and I was a seven out of seven every single day, regardless if I got two hours or 10 hours of sleep. So I don't really know how accurate that stuff is. Maybe, maybe it was user error. Maybe, maybe I was using it wrong. I don't, I don't think I was, but athlete readiness is very important. So obviously, like you said, we want to hit over that 95% max fee on our high days. So the warmups are first, like ask them how they feel is kind of intervention one coach. I feel like crap. My teacher threw a, a final on us like last week. Um, I haven't slept well in days. Like, all right, maybe you're not going to hit max V today. Maybe we'll hit some A cells with you. You know what I mean? So that's intervention one. I'd say intervention two is the warm up, seeing how they how the team collectively is in the warm up, right? And and kind of like I mentioned before, the heavy foot contacts, the poor posture. Like you kind of have these, and every team has you know similar uh, red flags, and every team's going to have differing red flags as well. So then when we go to the actual drill work. Intervention three is like, Hey, uh, coach Joachim, you hit, you hit, you know, our goal today is two to four fly 15s, fly 10s, whatever it is with a 20 yard build. Okay. You feel like crap. You hit two, you feel great. You hit four. 
So giving them that autonomy, I think is really important. And so that's kind of what we talked about earlier about saying, Hey, having your guys make sure that, you know, the goals of the day is really important. So when you say, Hey, today's goal is to be fast. I'd rather you be fast for two than be fast for than be slow for three or four. Right. So, Hey, do two really well and shut it down. Like you don't need to hit a third or fourth. Like that's kind of been our motto and we've seen pretty good success with it. So just kind of teaching the guys and understanding and then giving them that autonomy and, and, and everybody's got their certain guys who, you know, they're going to just try and get out of work, but nobody wants to get out. Everybody wants to get out of tempo runs. Nobody wants to get out of getting fast. So that that's when it comes to having a really good relationship with your team and your players and saying, Hey man, like shut it down, coach, coach, like, uh, no, nah, I feel good. Hey man, you told me you got four hours of sleep last night. I like shut it down. You hit three good ones. You don't need to hit four or five. Like you're done. And I love the, the, the giving the, the ownership back to the athletes. And, it, and we talk about this a lot on the, uh, on the podcast, but something that small, like giving the range two to five is so big for the, the mental aspect of the athlete. Because if you just write down five and like you said, like one, one, it's, it's a two thing. It's two sided for me. If you write down five and you're the ego driven coach, you see that the first two suck, like, and you're just going to force them through five, you're going to get nothing out of that session. And then he's probably going to be crushed for the rest of the day or injured or injured. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah, nothing's good is going to come out of that. Or even if you are not ego filled and you see he's, you can, you're going to shut him down after two. But if you just wrote down the five, or just told me we got five today, then it, then in his head, you have that little like mental, like, Oh, coach is shutting me down. Like I got this rather than giving, and it's a simple thing, like giving that range two to five, he ran the two, he hit the two, he did what he's supposed to do today. He can leave that day feeling great about himself. Yep. And, and something that Tony Holler, you know, says is don't let tomorrow be ruined by today. So it, what, what's the, like, if they hit three really, really good and you know, they're starting to feel tight or, you know, they told me they're a little sick. Hey, I, Hey, we get to train tomorrow. If you shut down right now, right. We still get to train tomorrow, but if you go for a fourth or fifth and you know, your hamstring gets tight, maybe you don't have an optimal training session the next day. So understanding that, Hey, we have tomorrow to train. So let's hit a stimuli. Let's listen to adaptation and then let's move on. I love that. Emphasizing a long-term approach. And the kind of last question before we go into a rapid fire round, and this is one I kind of love, love asking the guests, but what has kind of been your biggest eye opener recently for your, for your training? Uh, maybe it's with the last year, maybe it's the last week, maybe it was today, something that you learned, but kind of the biggest eye opener for your program. In, in my personal training or Villanova football's training? Either one, whatever, whatever route you want to take that. Uh, nobody wants to hear about my training um, <laughs> so, and how average it is. Um, so Villanova football, man, like I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. And that's something that I've, you know, kind of like within the last year, I, I've really come to realize like the first year it was like, oh man, I'm excited to kind of create change and change the culture and, you know, impact my program. And now it's like, dude, our guys are the best in the country, man. I, I'm so blessed to work at Villanova. And this is kind of like not answering your question at all. But like our dude, like we just have such a high quality guy and they're also just studs on the field. Um, I just really appreciate all of those guys do for me. And like, they make me laugh like crazy. They make fun of me. It, it's, it's just, we have so much fun, man. And working at Villanova has really brought that aspect of coaching really out just fun and improvement and enjoying the process. And, 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 it, and, it, and it's by no means all rainbows and sunshine, right? Like it's messy. It, it's everybody has their bad days. Sometimes, you know, we got guys skipping reps sometimes, so we have to address that. Um, but, but it's been a great experience so far. 
but the world doesn't meet you halfway is something Tim Karen recently told. Me. And, and, you know, everybody's got their cliche sayings and quotes and stuff, but it really resonates. And I think that's something that you mentioned earlier about the younger coaches potentially listening. Like the world doesn't mean you halfway. Like I've been told no so many times. I've been like all this, all this process has culminated in me at Villanova, which is like one of the biggest blessings of my life. But I've been told no so many times, right? I told you I kicked out of the weight room um, of a, or a football office of a, of a, um, coaching facility just because I knew a guy, right? I got told, hey, you should gain 10 pounds. I've been ghosted on after interviewing in person. Um, I've been, uh, I slept in the weight room for a year at San Jose because I couldn't afford housing. So people see this, this like one instance or this one blip of your life, but nobody like quote, the, the cheesy quote, they weren't with me shooting in the gym, right? Like nobody was on that air match with me 365 days without AC. Like <laughs> it, it's all a process and we're all learning and in kind of on this journey together and just understanding what takes, what it takes to get into that process is really important for people to understand. Hell yeah. That, that's a, that's a good way to go into the rapid fire round. I love that. Next, uh, trying to crush these. And these are some of my favorite questions that I ask the guests. And a lot of them are just selfish questions that I want to know. But the first one is what are kind of some of your favorite books or books that you think that listeners can get a lot out of? Mm -hmm. So training wise, James Smith has two, excuse me, James Smith has two applied sprint training and governing dynamics of coaching. Those two books are very, very influential in my career. From a non-training perspective, I'd say Mindset by Carol Dweck and Mastery by Robert Greene, right? All this stuff doesn't really matter if, if we don't have the right mentality going about it. Because like I said, you're going to be faced with adversity and understanding how you get through that and your mental approach to each, each and every single day. I think those two books kind of were were influential for me. <laughs> Boom. Next question. And this is kind of how this podcast continues to grow, but who do you think is the guest that we should have on to dive into some of these rabbit holes? Yeah. Uh, speaking specifically to kind of the rabbit holes that we touched on today, Sean Doherty is the director of men's lacrosse at Villanova. He's, uh, he's been really influential for me in my career, um, you know, and his inputs and kind of, we bounce ideas off each other every single day. So he's been awesome to, uh, to have as a coworker for, for at Villanova. This, this next question, and it's kind of like, maybe it's a five-year goal, maybe it's a one-year goal, but what's kind of next for you? What's that next big step, that next big thing that you're really looking forward to accomplishing, doing, maybe getting back to? Yeah, getting, getting back to is huge. I know some, I don't know when this podcast will necessarily air, but like as, as we're kind of in the summer of coronavirus, a lot of people are starting to get back to work and training their guys. And we're still kind of at home, man. We're, we're, we're itching to get back. So what's next for me is hopefully getting back into Villanova and training our guys as hard as possible. Um, when I say as hard as possible, I mean, love them up as hard as possible and train them extremely smart after this wildly, wildly uh unpredictable off season yeah we talked about that a little bit before but yeah to say same exact thing really looking forward to getting back with the team and getting after it the next question is one of my favorites from the entire podcast and just because the answers it gets but when all this coaching is over when when villanova's over and when you're retired all done with this what do you kind of want your legacy to be what do you want your athletes to say about you what do you want your people to say about you that's a really good question because i think it puts it in perspective for not only myself, but also listeners uh, of, you know, the impact you have on individuals. And I think the thing that when, when you, when you're asking me this, I think the thing that comes to mind is like, okay, what do, 
what do I want people to say about me when I'm done? Like, they're not going to remember, Oh, he had a great periodization scheme, right? Do I want a great periodization scheme? Absolutely. Um, but I want to be a great coach and a better person. Um, so, you know, that comes from a programming perspective that me, that comes from a being on the floor every single day for the guys, giving all I can to them and then being a better person as well. Um, so as good of a programmer as I want to be as good of a, you know, sprint sprint coach as I want to be and X and O's and, but I also want to do that on the floor and I also want to be a better person. And then the last question of the podcast, uh, you're kind of billboard message for somebody that's in a Valley. Maybe it, maybe it's when they get rejected from that job or ghosted from that job. Maybe it's when they're sleeping in the, in the weight room to make ends meet, but what's kind of your billboard message to make sure that yeah. person keeps pushing forward. Yeah, man, keep going. You never know. You never know when it's going to happen, right? It could be five years. It could be 10 years, could be 20 years. You never know when it's going to happen. You read all these success stories and these dudes just don't give up, right? We're, we're all a product of our cumulative daily habits. So if, if you, if you, like we, we, the analogy I gave earlier was don't tell me what to be the best strangers of the country and then watch four hours Netflix. So if you take that, like you take your eight to 11 o'clock night slot and you spend three hours a day studying stocks, watching Jersey Shore, or reading strength and conditioning books, you're going to get in a year, right? I'm not a math, a math wizard, but that's three hours times 365 days. You're going to get three very different outcomes, right? Three very different mindsets, three very different outcomes. So understanding <clears throat> this process is, it just takes time and effort, right? So that continual time and effort, and you don't know when it's going to come. And that, that's definitely intimidating for people right? You don't know when it's, when you're going to get out of the weight room. You don't know when you're going to get out of sleeping in your car. I know people have slept in their car for a year. Um, and that's kind of the unfortunate scenario of our field right now. Hopefully we can change that. Um, and then don't be afraid to reach out to people. That's something I've done a lot more recently because mental health is a serious issue. Don't be afraid to reach out to people, you know, check in on people, like make sure they're doing all right. You have no idea what everybody's going through a battle that you know nothing about. And that really resonates with me. Um, as you know, more and more of my friends, um, are reaching out to me or I'm reaching out to them. And, you know, people go through stuff, man, that's life and it's hard. Um, and it's messy and we're all trying to get through it together. So that's kind of my, if you're in a Valley, man, you can reach out to me. Uh, if you're in a Valley, feel free to reach out, but we're all a product of our cumulative daily habits and you never know when it's going to, when it's going to click for you. Boom. Coach, this is awesome. I, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Thank you for being on the podcast. No, nah, man, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, I know I rambled a lot. Hopefully, you know, somebody kind of makes sense of it all and, and says, oh, wow, that guy, that made a lot of sense because I don't know, looking back on it, how much it made sense for me. But it was really, really awesome to, uh, to, to be on, man. I appreciate your time. I thought you had some really unique questions and I appreciate what you're doing for the field right now. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.